Hello, this is Jeff Rose from Leading Education, and I'm here to introduce what is going to be an exciting two-part series on our podcast. The concept we're going to be exploring is how we connect schools with faith-based organizations, which is often an underutilized opportunity and sometimes misunderstood relative to what is possible. But when it is understood and embraced, incredible things can happen. I have two very special guests that are going to be joining me over the next two weeks. Week number one is Kevin Palau. He is the son of an international evangelist, Luis Palau, and for the last 20 plus years, he has been managing the day-to-day of the Luis Palau Association. Very knowledgeable on the topic, and we're excited to see what he brings. In week two, we're gonna have Amira Joe join us. Now, Amira is the Intersect Director at North Point Church. North Point Church is a very large and established church here in Alpharetta, Fulton County, Georgia, and she brings a wealth of experience as it relates to connecting church with the public schools here in the area and specifically serving students in a very impressive manner. Welcome everybody to Leading Education. I am Jeff Rose and today we are going to start the first of a two-part series and it's actually a topic that's extremely near and dear to my my heart and I have an incredible guest with me today Um, and what I'm going to end up doing is introducing him and then talking some more and then going over his bio etc so um, let me start by welcoming Kevin Palau. Kevin welcome to the show. Thank you so much Jeff it's great to hear your voice. Absolutely. Great to hear yours, too. And um, for those listening, Kevin and I go back a ways. In fact, this is Kevin's our first guest that we haven't had here face to face. Kevin uh, lives in Beaverton, Oregon, um, which is mild stomping grounds, uh, the Portland metro area. And um, we've done a lot of really great work together. And I was thrilled that he was willing and able to manage our time zones and get on the phone. So welcome, Kevin. I can't wait to could dive in here. So really, really appreciate your time. No problem. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to start by telling a, a little story. And um, Kevin, I'm going to ask you to kind of fact check me along the way. You know, one, you can interrupt me or two, you can take notes and then tell me everything that maybe I got wrong or, you know, my memory missed. Um, because, you know, I learned a lot in my time as superintendent in the Beaverton School District relative to how this can work. We, um, I, I learned through some trial and error, but I also learned just by watching um, when the expectation and infrastructure and partnership is created from a school district perspective and then brought as an opportunity to schools the work uh, and just beauty that can flourish as it relates to adults supporting kids uh, from a community standpoint. And I had transitioned from the Canby School District, which is about 30 miles south of Beaverton, smaller school district. But one thing I had learned in Canby is uh, how when when faith-based institutions come together and say, we want to support kids, um, and they say, we want to do that together, the power of that. And there were a number of times while I was in Canby when sometimes there was some sort of a challenge in the community, I could almost 
I could, well, not even almost, I could pull together um, our faith-based community around a table because it was a you know fairly small town and talk to them and one, sometimes debrief things were going on in the district because I knew they were major communicators in the community. They could ask me questions and if we were on the same page, that gave us the ability to communicate consistently to lots of people throughout the city of Canby. So when I came to Beaverton, which is a much larger district, um, uh, 56 schools, 45,000 students, um, I get, began to ponder what would it look like kind of the, at a larger scale. And so uh, to be quite honest, I didn't know how to do that. I didn't know what it looked like. So I remember um, engaging a few people, one, the mayor of Beaverton, Denny Doyle, um, also the Plow organization, my school board, and a couple of our school leaders. And I just, I just asked if we could have lunch one day. And we ordered probably Subway sandwich or something in the central office, nothing fancy. And I, I just said, what would, it, what would it look like if we were to figure out a strategic way to support the relationships and the partnerships between schools and all of the faith-based communities here? Because, Kevin, um, you remember, we were already talking. We were already having kind of quarterly meetings between you know, pastors and the superintendent, for example, and we were talking, having good discussions. But the question was, but how do we make connections where it really matters at the school level? Do, do you remember that correctly? Absolutely. And um, in our case, too, from, from our perspective, um, you know, we, we began um, a relationship like we did with the Beaverton School District probably about the same time with Portland Public Schools. And, um, you know, there was a, it was a kind of a challenging environment because uh, Portland is among the most kind of radically unchurched parts of the country. And there was a lot of, I think, misgivings on the part of the school superintendent in Portland public schools and probably a number of the teachers to say, you know, can we trust these faith-based people, these Christians in particular, to, to be good partners? You know, can, the, can they partner with people that... Uh, the, at least the perception was we may not agree on everything. So how can you partner if you don't agree on things? Or there was worried about proselytizing, you know, people sharing their faith in, in ways that might not be appropriate during school hours. So, uh, yeah, we were super encouraged to have Jeff, you, you in particular, Jeff, taking on that role in Beaverton because you had such a can-do attitude, and rather than viewing it as an obstacle to be gotten around, you viewed it as, let's make this happen. We need to work together as people that care about the community. So you, 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 rather than seeing obstacles, you saw huge opportunities, and that made it easy. Well, I remember, Kevin, you had, you had shown me this, this video of one particular school um, and, you know, unfortunately, I can't remember the title of the video. And it really, it just, it told the story of one particular church partnering with one particular high school. It was a um, high poverty high school. Do you remember the name of the video or that high school? Absolutely. I, I could, yeah, in my sleep. Yeah, <laughs> Roosevelt High School. When we, um, way back in 2007, 
you know, we had about 100 churches meeting together, praying together, wanting to make a bigger difference in the community, and frankly, recognizing that as a church community in a place like Portland, Oregon, which is so radically progressive and unchurched, uh, you know, a, a pretty different environment than what you have, uh, you're blessed with there, I'll say it that way, in uh, the Atlanta area. Um, we knew that the church was unfortunately known more for what it was against than what it was for. And so the, a, a group of churches kind of deputized my dad and I to go see the mayor of Portland and the school superintendent for Portland. And, um, you know, they we, we basically said, look, we want to... Uh, get involved in caring about the community. What are some needs? If we could mobilize thousands of folks from our churches to serve, what are the needs that you see as mayor, that you see as school superintendent? How could we help? And both of them mentioned Roosevelt High School, which had been built in the 1920s for 2,000 students. And by the time we were having this conversation, it had dwindled down to 450 uh, there was no football team there because they'd condemned the grandstands. The on-time graduation rate at Roosevelt was thir- like something like 36%. So if you could get your kid out of Roosevelt, you'd done it. And if you were left, you were kind of feeling a little beleaguered. And uh, into that environment you know, came uh, a number of churches, but one church in particular called Southlake, and they, I mean, the impact that they made by engaging volunteers into Roosevelt High School over a period of years was outstanding. And it did become a, a great documentary called Be Undivided. And a lot of churches around the country have really caught the vision of the difference they can make when they just get engaged in public schools in their own neighborhoods. Uh, it was a remarkable story. So I, this is even before that lunch that we had with with the mayor and my board chair. Um, you had shared that video with me, and um, I I became excited um, and almost a little bit uh, frustrated, which I call a, a healthy state of dis- disequilibrium, because I thought, I want to do that, right? I want to tap into this uh, resource, this human resource, um, and it, it really wasn't about how do we get people of faith in schools. It was, we have people in the community who care about kids, who care about people. So why are we not having that discussion? And I remember thinking, you know, I want that in our schools too. And we did a little bit of um, recon and recognized at the time we had 10% of our schools in Beaverton that had these, quote, partnerships, 10%. And at that lunch when we were talking, we, we talked about that video, and we were, I remember asking, what would it take for 100% of our schools to have that kind of relationship and support and partnership? What would that look like? Um, and it was kind of this big goal that we just started talking about. And the next step to that story was we thought, well, how about this? We know that we can't solve that. And for us to solve that in a vacuum um, wouldn't make sense because if we want the relationship to happen um, at the level where it impacts kids, we need to have more people in this room. So remember we had that conversation about, so how do we... How do we do that? And so we came up with this goal and um, almost an agreement where you said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to go and I'm going to communicate with the faith-based community. I'm going to reach out and create a communication strategy. And I said, deal. 
I will reach out and I'm going to get every school in the room. You know, calling a meeting with every school or every principal and vice principals. And, you know, and we thought, well, let's, let's try that. And we assumed, I think, that we were going to have an audience of, you know, 70, 80 people. And we were well over 130 people at that meeting just show up. Right. And breakfast that we had, we we served breakfast thinking that was going to be a great thing. And then 10 minutes in breakfast was gone. People were standing, standing in hallways. And we thought, what an incredible problem to have that we don't have any room in this, you know, room in the central office. And the intent there, if you remember, we just said, listen, there is a line. You and I both both spoke to this line uh, and the separation of church and state. But what we can do is we can walk up to it and we can shake hands over the line and we can have a discussion relative to the needs of our students. And we almost, between you and I, gave permission and promoted discourse between our faith-based community and our principals. Where we put them in tables and we just said, the goal is for you to talk and that's it. Our agenda was really loose and then we knew we just had to follow up after that. But that was kind of the beginning of this really interesting movement and momentum that, you know, was created. And at least that's how I remember it. Is that a bit too romantic? No, you're, no, you're, you're exactly right. I think it was just a, a confluence of perfect timing where you were in the, that key position, the second largest school district in the state of Oregon. You'd had a really positive experience in Canby, you, you'd seen the value of the faith community, in this case, primarily churches, partnering with schools. And, and we were just at a point of, of recognizing we've got to, as a Christian community, as the, as the church, if we want to uh, be a good neighbor, which is certainly part of our faith, if we want to even positively convey what it means to be a follower of Jesus in a very challenging environment like Portland, there's times we've got to maybe talk a little bit less and do more and and show that we care about the community. Again, unfortunately, at times, churches have become known primarily for being anti-this and anti-that. And so we thought, you know what, a very, very productive way to demonstrate that we care about the community is to sit down with our civic leaders, mayors, school superintendents, et cetera, and simply ask, how can we serve? We're not here to ask for anything. We have no agenda, honestly, other than being good neighbors. And also uh, recognize that um, while we have a message that we love to share, those of us that are followers of Jesus Christ, imperfect as we are, we love to tell people about Jesus because it's been a life-changing thing for us, but we also understand that there is a time and a place, and particularly in the environment of schools, public schools, we've got to be careful to convey that we understand those rules are there for good reason. We applaud those rules, um, and we trust that uh, relationships will be built that will be genuinely helpful. So I, I've never forgotten the way you describe that line, because that's the thing. We all know that there's a line there. Pastors and, and people that uh, are from the faith community get very nervous and almost have the attitude, it's against the law 
for us to have any sort of relationship with schools. Oh, we could never do that. It's against the law. We would be shut down immediately. And then time, at some at times, some from the school district or principals, et cetera, may also have that misunderstanding that somehow, by definition, if someone is, is a member of a church or, or a church itself could not partner with a school. Absolutely they can, as long as they follow the same rules that any community volunteer would have. That's not a place to sell products or promote anything. It's there. It's a place to serve. And it meets a need of the church to be engaged in the community, and it basically fulfills part of our of our faith, to love and serve our neighbor as ourselves. So um, it worked really, really well. And you're describing that kind of holding hands or shaking hands across that important line of separation that's there. We should be as close to the line as we can, working together for the sake of our kids. And again, as long as everyone's following the rules, it can be an incredibly productive relationship. And, you know, now, 10 years later, um, almost 70% of the public schools in 19 different school districts in the Portland metro area, more than 365, have at least one church that's come alongside to say, this is our school. We, we love the kids in this school. A bunch of our kids maybe go to this same school. How can we serve and make a difference? That, that's the main thing. It's just a humble servant attitude and genuinely listening to the answer when we ask, how can we serve? You know, one thing you remember, and it, this wasn't overnight, right? This, this, what, what occurred, I mean, we had to put some resource, and when I say we, it was uh, mutual, right? So, yes. um, you know, there was resource put on on both sides, almost like this agreement, um, that the school district, we put some resource, you did too, so we could make sure that we're communicating. Um, we created systems and databases so we were tracking who was actually connecting and the different kind of things that they were working on so if there was a school that needed something and they didn't have that connection we could plug them in or if uh, one of our local churches or synagogues were to say we want a partner we could say well listen we know some schools that need that and we created the database we created some policy and language and guidance so that we could promise that yes. we knew what the rules were and then how we, we could train. And by the way, if there was ever a mistake, we could course correct. So there was a variety of things we had to do to get to that place. And in fact, when I remember when I left Beaverton, we had gone from 10% of our schools, and this is Beaverton, not the metro area, 10% of our schools to over 80 in terms of having that kind of connection, which we were very proud of. But, you know, it also took some, you know, trial and error and a lot of work to get there. I, I was uh, threatened uh, with two very specific lawsuits um, from the school district as well as personally that we had to navigate. But we got the, the legal support needed to know what we could and could not do. So we really felt confident going into that conversation. So there were T's to cross and I's to dot. But... I just think the fact that we kind of did that hand in hand, um, it did send a message that, number one, it's not just acceptable, but number two, it's the right thing to do in terms of finding resource that we're often sometimes, frankly, complaining we don't have in terms of people, capital, in schools working with kids when maybe they're right at our fingertips, we just haven't asked in the right way or the right people. Yeah, that's that's it. I mean, our faith communities are filled with, for the most part, good-hearted people 
that do want to make a difference. And as you said, Jeff, it's partly just a communication issue. Uh, churches and synagogues, faith communities have an ability to communicate week by week by week with hundreds, in some cases, thousands of people. And uh, it's frankly just good. Um, uh, it just makes sense to communicate in that way. How else, like I, if I was a school principal, I'd be scratching my head a little bit to say, where am I going to find um, volunteers or resource to do some of these things that we have, that we dream about? Where am I going to find people to read to third graders uh, during a lunch hour, or, or just simply to do some of the simple school beautification at the beginning of the school year uh, that, that prepare the grounds to just look a little bit better. Um, things that there may not be the funds to pay people to do. Um, it always started, in our case, I think it's always started pretty simply. We always encourage churches to under-promise and over-deliver. Don't go in there and promise you can deliver hundreds of volunteers consistently, but find out what the needs are, and then just do something small and reasonable. Most churches can at least do some things that help teachers and administration get the school ready for the new school year. And that's something that can then build trust, and, and usually as trust builds, things that are small like that can gradually build into um, more robust kinds of partnerships. And we're always encouraging churches to think of this long term, not simply you know, a once a year clean up with a couple volunteers, but uh, to, to really have a partnership with the school that's going to make a bigger difference. We, um, I remember uh, one time in a, as we were going through this process, we had uh, some, some of our principals become um, let's, nervous, I guess is the best way to describe it, um, maybe a little bit frustrated because of this change, when change is hard. And I remember in a meeting creating this Venn diagram, which is kind of a breakthrough moment for us, and I think we just got lucky having it because on one side we put let's let's talk about the let's talk about the faith-based community. At the time, you know, obviously we had um, a variety of Christian churches. We had uh, Church of Latter Day Saints with us, the um, uh, Jewish community, a couple of synagogues, and um, and also the Baha'i faith. We had a couple of representatives, yes. right, and so. And so we put them on one side of the Venn diagram. And on the other, we, I, I put teacher. And I said, okay, so now let's, let's talk about what's unique and what's the same, right? And so we were able to kind of break that down. And there were some things unique, right? There were some things that, and then we said, but there are some things the same. And so this is where we're going to meet. This is where we're going to kind of hold hands, Right? Knowing that there is a line, we have the guidance, we have documentation, we have policy, we can do this. And it was this really interesting kind of breakthrough moment for our principals to know, okay, right, someone has our backs, and this is the kind of conversation we're actually having as opposed to, you know, worrying about some of those other factors we described. And, and ladies and gentlemen, I should probably now do a better job introducing uh, Kevin, I just dove into the conversation, which was my intent. But, you know, Kevin, he's the son of the international um, uh, evangelist Luis Palau. He joined the Luis Palau Association in 1985 and began directing the day-to-day -day operation of the ministry. And that's a very busy job. We'll talk about that in a minute. In the late 1990s, and under his leadership, LPA has produced some of the largest Christian events ever staged, uh, extremely large, and he can talk about that. 
created a worldwide network of hundreds of partner evangelists and developed new models for citywide outreach that integrate major community services. And of course, this entails schools, initiatives with open air evangelistic gatherings. His first book, Unlikely, Setting Aside Our Differences to Live Out the Gospel, that was released in June 2015 holds a degree in religious studies from Wheaton College and lives once again in Beaverton, Oregon with his wife, Michelle, and they have three adult children. So, um, Kevin, tell us specifically maybe about your your role, the, the day-to-day. Obviously, when it talks about kind of the day-to-day operations, but what does that, what does that entail? Well, you know, uh, really I would say we're about, we've always been about trying to get churches in a community to work together. And certainly um, part of it, because my dad is a Billy Graham-like figure, some of your listeners, whether they come from a faith background or not, may certainly, you know, may remember Billy Graham and the role that he played for decades in, uh, in bringing the community together and bringing churches of all different denominations together. And so that's always been one of the goals that we've had is get to get the church to work together. And historically, that used to mean for big uh, outreach events where, where dad would preach the gospel. And uh, like, like, you know, like happens in churches on Sundays, this would be an, a, a, an effort to go to a stadium or some big open-air place, a park. And so we did that for, for many, many years. But what we find, of course, in the U.S. is as culture has changed so quickly and fairly radically, as fewer and fewer people um, necessarily identify with having Christian faith or any faith, as people have gotten a lot more sensitive uh, to issues of diversity, um, you know, we found that, that doing things that same old way was getting more challenging. And we also recognize that um, for many people that wouldn't consider themselves followers of Jesus, they wouldn't call themselves a Christian, um, they really had developed a lot of understandable misgivings about what it means to, to be a Christian. It, it would tend to become very political in their mind, or, well, that, that means you're automatically a right-wing Republican, and you're for this and against this, without really building a relationship. There are just a lot of assumptions that were made. So we recognize that um, one of the most important things we could do, and we began doing this in our home city of Portland, Oregon, where we met Jeff in Beaverton, the suburb of Portland, we recognize that for a lot of people that we were trying to communicate with, they weren't starting out on with kind of a common ground understanding of where we were coming from. They were starting off in a big 10-foot hole of misunderstanding because of the way some of the dumb things that Christians do and some of the way we've been you know, known in the media. So we said, what would it look like to build trust with our city leaders and, and mobilize many, many people that uh, love the Lord to serve the community? And so that's really what began this process. Uh, and so for me, day-to-day work we have about 70 staff, so there's all just the normal day-to-day work that comes with leading an organization. But a lot of what I love to do is to go into various cities and help churches work together with their city leaders, with their civic officials, with school superintendents, etc., and find ways to help the church be more effective in its outreach, to, to find ways to love and serve the community, and oftentimes 
serving schools is can be one of the more effective ways to do that. Uh, needs in a community often find their expression in local schools. Uh, the refugee community are in schools. Homeless kids are part of our schools. Um, just about every need in uh, a town, those needs are expressed in local schools. And so to help churches find creative, effective ways to engage their schools, so just simply come alongside and say, how can I make your life easier? Thank you for serving our kids. How can we serve and make a difference? How can we help teachers be more effective? I think if, I think if that process is done with a genuine humility and genuinely asking questions, how can we serve, that's when we find it to be effective. So, so for me, a lot of my time is spent building relationships with people and helping them find common ground. A lot of time between churches and schools or between churches and um, mayors, depending on what part of the country, there can be a big divide. And I, I love to work for uh, common ground kinds of issues, having people recognize we may disagree on some things, but just like you were saying, Jeff, with that Venn diagram, we agree with on so much more than we disagree with. Even if we come from different political parties or different stances on certain hot-button social issues, just about everybody agrees that we'd love to see our public schools thriving, that we would love to see kids reading uh, and performing at grade level, that we'd love to see kids graduating on time. Whether you're a person of faith or not, we can agree that those are important things. Now, um, what, have you, what have you seen? So you see um, this more on a national scale than I do, right? So when, when I've served, I've been, you know, Beaverton-centric. When I, you know, my time here in Fulton County or in Canby, I've really kind of focused on the kind of community at hand. But what are you seeing as it relates to this work on a national scale? Do you see it... Um, spreading and thriving? Do you see more challenges than successes? What, what are some of the current trends that you could describe to me that I just don't have a vision into? Well, you know, I would say that it's, it's definitely been spreading very rapidly. This concept of uh, the churches working together long term for the sake of the community um, has really caught hold. And of course, you'd say, well, I, would, you know, I thought if a person was claiming to be a follower of Jesus, they're supposed to act like Jesus did. And from what I've heard, he's, he was loved his neighbor, etc. So you'd think it would be very natural, but usually the hardest part is convening pastors and church leaders and, and having them share a vision for the community in which they all serve. They, they, you know, certainly most churches do care about the community, and they're all doing a variety of things, but usually the trick is can you convene the right influential leaders so that they can kind of catch a bigger collective vision? Can we say, hey, rather than each doing our own thing and not knowing what each other are doing, could we get together and, and discover, for example, hey, what churches, uh, sorry, what schools in our community already have a church or faith community that's partnering with them? Which ones do and which ones don't have that? I'm always challenging churches around the country uh, and cities around the country to discover that. So we're finding in places like Houston, Texas, in Houston, Texas, a whole new organization formed called Loving Houston uh, that has you know multiple full-time staff, and their goal over about a 10-year period of time is going to be we want to see every single 
public school in the whole greater Houston area have at least one church or faith community that's coming alongside that school to serve and meet needs. So uh, that's happened. In in Phoenix, Arizona, there's School Connect. Um, In the San Francisco Bay Area, in Seattle, in New York City, in South Florida, most of the places around the country where the church is coming together, they're recognizing that one of the most simple and fruitful, productive ways for the church to engage is to focus on public schools, partly because of the great need that's there, the high need, and secondly, because the both churches and schools are dispersed in virtually every neighborhood. Every part of the community has public schools. Every part of the community has churches and faith communities. And so it's, it's kind of a simple vision casting to say, what if, what if... Uh, Every school had some part of the faith community that was coming alongside to serve. The other part that makes it work easily is, is, is how incredibly scalable it is. You're not talking about a particular program and saying every church must do this same thing. You're basically saying it's about relationships. It's about relationships between people that already care about the community. Most people that are pastoring churches or heavily engaged in their local church or faith community, they love their community. Uh, They want to see the community thrive. Certainly principals and teachers are doing it uh, not because of the uh, lavish pay. They're doing it because they genuinely love kids and they know how important a good education is. And so you get these people together and you just start a conversation. So even a, a brand new church plant of 50 people or a, an older congregation that's kind of been dec- on the decline and is left with 20 or 30 people, there's something that that community can do to make a difference. It may be just having a couple of senior citizens that are reading to third graders on Wednesdays at lunch. It may be providing 10 volunteers at the beginning of every school year to serve and meet needs. But we found it incredibly productive, and um, I'm aware of dozens and dozens and dozens of cities around the country that have made that a goal. Let's try to get every single school to have a partner uh, in the faith community. You know, you mentioned, Kevin, the, you know, the word engage as well as programs. And I actually think some of the mistakes that can be made from, from my observations and experience is that um, sometimes on, on kind of both ends where a school would say, you know, here's, here's the program that we want, um, you know, for, say, a faith-based or a church to help us with. Or vice versa, you know, the church says, oh, here's the program. We want to deliver this to the principal, and hopefully they'll be excited about it. And when they aren't, it's almost like there's, you know, somebody's offended. As opposed to, right, uh, engaging is gathering around the table and putting the needs of kids in the middle to say, okay, what sort of resources and what sort of opportunity do we have collectively that, you know, is doable for these students at this particular school, knowing that every school is dramatically different. And by the way, every school has needs. They're just sometimes different needs. So a program often may not match unless it really is, it comes from that discourse between these partners. And so, you know, it it sometimes doesn't have to be as complicated as people assume. It just has to be this willingness to lean in 
and kind of talk it through, understand that while there are rules and guidelines, those can be worked through as long as, you know, discussion and partnership is the ultimate goal. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. I would say it, it just needs to begin with genuine conversation and relationship building. And I th- I'd say that the, the posture, posture of really being servant-oriented from the part of the faith community is is really, really key. You know, to recognize these people that have devoted their lives to our kids that are in, in school administration or, or teachers, principals, are incredibly busy. They do not have the time to become a half-time volunteer coordinator. So you, you really need to um, make their time valuable, listen really well, start small, don't overpromise, um, and then just just genuinely be a help and a resource. And, and what we've seen uh, over and over and over again is when that trust is built and when teachers and principals see that it's a legitimate, ongoing relationship, more and more doors are, are flung open and, and needs can be met. Um, in, in the Beaverton, one of the best examples in Beaverton is uh, Barnes Elementary, which is which happens to be right across the street from a big Catholic church and a big evangelical church, Beaverton Foursquare. And again, you know, what, what often begins as a school cleanup day, which is usually one of the best places to begin because it's very simple, manageable, and tangible. But uh, now Beaverton Foursquare does all kinds of things to provide volunteers, you know, put volunteers into the existing programs that the school already has. And uh, they do, for example, a big, uh, they do basketball clinics and soccer camps and all sorts of things during the summer. Uh, They provide volunteers for the feeding program, uh, you know, the lunch program that uh, that provides uh, food for kids, you know, in the off times in in the summer. So, you know, what what can often start simply can really grow uh, much, much deeper and it can make a big difference. Preparing for this discussion, I thought, um, you know, I asked myself, I often wonder what are the, what I call the key elements to um, a successful initiative or movement? And, and of course, you know, when I say key, how do you, how do you boil it down to just a few, knowing there's, there's lots of work that goes into it? And um, I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are on, are on this, Kevin, but from my perspective, I thought, okay, um, if I were to boil it down to three key elements or a few or a handful um, for this to work, I thought, one, there's got to be permission and almost expectation um, from top leadership, whether that is, um, uh, you know, uh, pastors of large organizations, whether that is uh, mayors, school superintendents, sometimes uh People who are known to say uh, no because, you know, we have to be safe and, you know, we have to abide by certain rules uh, on creating avenues and strategies on how to say yes um, and go from not just that you have permission, but you have an expectation. I thought, well, that, that seems to be a key element. And number two, I thought, well, number two, you need clear guidance. You need language that's widely communicated. And often that comes in the form of policy or documentation, but it needs to be clear and it needs to be kind of co-owned on kind of, you know, both sides or multiple organizations. And the third is, um, to what you were mentioning, this understanding that there is like a spectrum. There's a way to start. You know, there's a difference. I've always said there's a difference between projects 
which by the way are great, are great. Sometimes they're like these one and done things, but it's a great way to kind of dip your toe in. But projects are on one side and that can lead to partnership. And then ultimately partnership can actually lead to relationship. And you know, understanding the difference in terms of organizations that, and if our school district and faith-based groups are working towards partnership and relationship, often, you know, these very organic and student-centered activities and initiatives kind of derive from that. So those were kind of three key elements that I noticed. I'm curious on your perspective, or what are some of the key elements that that you've noticed along the way? Yeah, and I would fully agree and endorse every one of those you mentioned. Those certainly would have been on my my little short list as well. Um, so, so ones I would, add, and some of these are kind of similar, and mm-hmm. and maybe looking at it, um, uh, maybe slightly more from the church or faith based organization side of things. Yeah, which um, is important. Yeah, which is so you got the you know the, each side kind of has their way of thinking about it. You know, I would say from the uh, from the side of the the organization, the church that's wanting to serve, I think there really has to be this posture of humility and 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 genuinely wanting to serve where needed, which means asking a lot of questions and and being gracious and understanding that this person who's sitting across from you is. This is not their full-time job. They have many things they have to do, and they may be squeezing in 15 minutes for you, and it's, it's, it's a big chore for them. So you've got to be prepared and make life easy for them. They're not there to serve you. You are there to serve them, meaning they, because they are the permission giver to uh, identify needs. So I would say genuinely have a humble serve an attitude and ask questions, how can I serve? Don't come with a program. Uh, and certainly I would say under-promise and over-deliver. Don't go in <laughs> promising the moon and the stars and then just creating a big sense of disappointment uh, because you went in and promised a lot and then did not follow through. Because that's just going to make the person that much more skittish and reticent next time a community partner comes, yeah, I've heard this before, you know, I'm going to put a bunch of time and energy into trying to open the door and find some needs, and then it's going to fizzle out. So be careful to not overpromise, and and be and be careful to follow through. Be really thoughtful. Uh, I would also say think as long-term as you dare. Uh, try not to think only projects. And certainly, as you say, it's always going to start or almost always it's going to start with simple projects that the school may identify. Um, but, but if you really are committed longer term, it will slowly but surely, or it can, lead to a genuine relationship uh, that is benefiting these kids and, and there are kids. You know, whether or not they're literally biologically our kids or whether we've adopted or have foster kids in that particular school, um, we know that these kids are the future of our community. We all say that. But it's hard for schools to find um, committed volunteers. So that's one of the things I would say is, is have that humble attitude. Uh, be careful not to overpromise. Really think long term. I, I would even say ideally from the church's or faith community side, try to have a point person who is really passionate and committed that can serve as a kind of a go-between uh, between the two communities from your side. 
Yeah, but I, I think potentially we just outlined the key components to your next book. Ah, uh, there we I go. In fact, yeah. a guy named, uh, uh, yeah, a wonderful pastor in Portland named Chuck <laughs> Bomar has actually written a book. I wish I could remember the title, but it's very specifically addressed to pastors on how to partner with public schools in, a, in an effective way. Um, so, yes, unfortunately, he beat me to it. <laughs> well, you know, ladies and gentlemen, I, I, I want to just pause and, you know, on, on air, thank, thank Kevin. He's um, always just been a very good friend. I've learned um, just so much from his leadership and guidance and partnership and, and our relationship. It's, it's made a difference not just when I was in Beaverton, but in my transition to Fulton County and really in just kind of in the way that I think and uh, feel relative to what, what is possible um, when the right supports, the right key elements are in place. So I want to thank you for not just the, the show here and your time, Kevin, but um, really everything that you've contributed to that's, that's impacted me and so many others. Well, you're so welcome, Jeff, and, and I love to connect with you and, and uh, superintendents like you, public servants, really, in the, in, the, in the proper definition of the term, people that have devoted themselves to meeting needs in the community. It's such a key role, so thank you for the, the great role you've played and continue to play in, in uh, public education. All right. Well, thank you, Kevin. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, once again, thank you for listening to Leading Education. Have an incredible day. listening to Leading Education with Jeff Rose, hosted by Jason Pace and Jeff Rose, and recorded at Serendipity Labs in Alpharetta, Georgia. We are produced and edited by Carson Pace. Our theme music is by Full Year of Panic. If you're listening to this on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. We'll see you next week.